everybody and welcome to the EC Method. I am one of your coaches, Chloe Maidley. And I am your other coach, Emma Story Gordon. Our goal at the EC Method is to encourage, educate and empower you to get the results that you've always wanted. Listen to our weekly podcasts, go to our website, theecmethod.co.uk or simply follow us on Instagram to get more information. Close back. I'm home. Thank you guys for letting me do a Wednesday live. I um I was so proud of my Wi-Fi streak and then and then I just had a bad I just had a bad plummet. I just still it still wasn't working when I left yesterday. Cool. And how was your trip? Fine. I kind of worked the whole way really. I didn't really, I was fine. And then I woke up this morning and I just like all my pregnancy symptoms have randomly come back and I'm like, but I have a midwife appointment and a scan today. So I'm going to be like, please help me with my headaches. I just want, I can handle it all. It's just like the never ending headaches, but my blood pressure's fine. Are you allowed to take painkillers? No. Yeah. Yeah. You can take paracetamol and like Panadol. I don't know what, no paracetamol works. Like nothing works, but Panadol extra, the red one does work but it has caffeine in it, so I have to be careful. But yeah, anyway, that's boring. How are you, Emma? I am fantastic, thank you. So I was reading Attached. Have you read Attached? Probably, it's the most like, it's the most oh, generic. Oh, have you not? Right, so it's like about um, attachment types, surprisingly enough. So if you're like an avoidant, a secure attachment or- Yeah, we talked about this, I think, recently. I think yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I was, reading that and then I think everyone who reads this is like I've had this epiphany anyway it talks about this dependency paradox which is that when we feel we can depend on our partners and we when we trust them when we have this secure base then we're more independent and so like one example that they use of this is if a child is left in a room they on their own they don't explore very much but when their mum's there but they like their mum's just there nothing they else safe. they yeah. feel safe and so they explore more and I was thinking about this in the context of coaching and actually how we see this all the time with people that come on and part of coaching like it's not like the tangible stuff it's knowing that if you do trip up Chloe and I are here to get you back on track which this is the paradoxical bit really like is the more support you have the less support you need and the less support you use so knowing that we're here to support everyone means that actually you tend to trip up less yeah you tend to you know not need that level of support because it's there because you know it's there and I guess that like that's the paradox but that's what I was thinking about this morning I love that obviously completely um accurate and I love the um applicable way in which you applied it to coaching I completely agree I feel like the EC method it's really interesting we see it with every round even with like the questions post for example the first especially one to two weeks and even like three to four weeks and even kind of mildly five to six people are very much like like constantly in a state of like am I doing this right as you should be it's a new plan and you've just started am I doing this right is this okay this isn't moving this is going really well what about this I'm having a bad day and there's a lot and like we always say the huge crux of our job is reassurance reassuring people like you are ticking these boxes you're doing it well or reassuring them in the in the context of you know we're all human we all have bad days sometimes maybe you didn't tick all the boxes one day or one week that's okay um, and we always find that really by that week seven, eight mark, it's amazing actually, because it I was skeptical about the timeline when we first did it, but we obviously need to do it. It's eight weeks initially, just so it's affordable for people who want to try it. Um, but I was skeptical, but it's really interesting by that six, seven week mark, people start to kind of get really comfortable with their decision making, with the trajectory that they're on. And they need us less. And it's and, and we, we always end up working less towards the end of the round, like far less than we do in those first few weeks, which just goes to show that people become more independent because they feel more knowledgeable, more supported, like they have a really strong network. And I love that. And I love that you applied it to, to that because it makes perfect sense. I used to say this to James in the beginning of our relationship, like James is always just really like, oh, fuck it, whatever, be really independent, do, do what you do, I'll do what I would do. And I used to say to him, like, the more I feel like really secure in this relationship, the more independent I will become. Like it's, it is paradoxical that like, you have to understand this. And 
I feel like um, I feel like men really struggle to get their head around that just on a romantic yeah yeah I, I agree I think it is it's true in like all relationships really isn't it yeah and I I like an analogy for this which is that if you're walking on a tightrope is it yeah a tightrope that's like two inches off the ground you're much more likely to take the risk because you know that if you fall off it like nothing bad's gonna happen you can just yeah. get back on that yeah whereas if you're doing it 10 foot in the air you put so much pressure on yourself not to fail because there's huge consequences to not failing because you don't feel supported or even have you ever done something like that like those high ropes courses right and you're, you're on like yeah. you've got a harness on yeah and so you're like oh this, this is easy like would if without a harness I'd be but actually you never need like you never actually need the harness because it's there but if it oh, wasn't yeah. there you would need it like it's a weird kind of I guess part of it is you're more likely to make mistakes when you put that much pressure on yourself as well like when you're telling yourself whether it's on a, like a high ropes course or like a tightrope or whether it's when you're dieting that you can't make mistakes and that like any kind of failure means that you've completely failed and you should give up when you put that level of pressure on yourself you're much more likely to yeah. make mistakes whereas when you kind of take the pressure off weirdly to tend not to make those mistakes anyway yeah when the stakes are too high and also you know what you forget like once you're an adult once you're not a child anymore you're a, you're fully cognizant of the fact that authority is just an illusion you're gonna do you can always do what you choose to do even if it is against the law you will pay the consequences after you've done it if you go into a police station you say i'm gonna commit this crime they say we can't do anything until you've done it authority is just an illusion and I think, you know, we know that. And Emma's right. You put the stakes really high. You really put the pressure on. You know, deep down, the only person who can fuck that up is you. And, you know, what happens when you have a shit day and you're like, fuck the world and you're feeling rebellious about everything? You're going to fuck with, with the high stakes goal you've put in place. It's, it's just human nature. Emma's right. The second that you take that pressure off and you say, no, I'm choosing to do these things because there's something really good at the end of it. It doesn't matter if you have a shit day. You, you continue to do them anyway. Um, and that's, we, that's why we always talk about mindset being the huge missing link. And I think it took me years as a PT to understand that, that it was behavioral change that drives drives the success of the clients. Yeah, I know. You think that it's the right macros or yeah. like a certain <laughs> calorie target or, oh, this is a better way to work out calories or I don't know, something, but it's all like your mental approach to things. I remember when you first started PT, you're like, just do it. Yeah. <laughs> And then you get some miles under the under under your belt or whatever on the clock and you're this like, is why I kind of think and like myself as a PT is a good example like we we often think that like athletes and stuff would be good personal trainers and like when I finished personal training I had oh sorry when I started personal training I had like a total athlete mindset and I'd just give people plans and be like just do it <laughs> I can't understand why you're not just sticking to this like I've told you what to do I can't see where the problem would be whereas like coaching is bridging the gap between intent and action like that's our job yeah. because actually it's so easy for us to set targets and to some extent like the targets don't matter that much it's more about getting you to implement those like many people will get very similar results whether they're sticking to 1600 or 1800 calories like it's not the exact calorie number that matters it's the consistency of implementing those behaviors exactly okay we have a question sam hi ladies question i'm at maintenance with a physique goal lifting as heavy as i can to failure you've reassured me that i won't be increasing the weights every week i'm already doing four sets of most things lifting to failure within the rep range emma gives so how do i continue to progressively overload um you're already doing it babe uh, progressive overload the key is in the title progressive is in this isn't going to be immediate it's not going to happen every day every week every fortnight every month it's progressive and and it's also very intuitive you know it's it's a good idea look in, in terms of big picture take all the nuance and detail out of it you'll probably find that you get stronger and you can lift heavier heavier in the beginning every few weeks the more kind of intermediate and advanced you get, well, the more intermediate you get every few months, the more advanced you get. Mm. <laughs> it's anyone's guess. I always say this, like, I don't really hit PBs that much anymore unless I really go in with like, this really specific goal to do this really specific thing. It's not really part of my training trajectory anymore because I've been lifting for 10 years now. Um, 
now in terms of you know are you doing everything to allow you to hit progressive overload if that's you know and you've been training you're not an, a beginner and you're not an intermediate you are coming into that more advanced category and I don't know so you need to tell me where you are with that um that's where we would start to talk about things like um you know micro meso macro cycles in terms of your training deloads tapering um and if this really was a goal that you were serious about and you enjoyed let's face it as well if you if you're an advanced lifter you need something to aim for in the gym so these strategies are for the advanced they're definitely not for beginners or intermediates but it would a give you something to aim for in the gym it would give you quite a fun kind of lifting program to adhere to and it, there would be different points in that program which would keep it fresh and keep it interesting for you and yeah the goal would be to get you to continue to hit progressive overload numbers over time. Um, but like I say, if you've been lifting for anything less than a, a good few years, it's not something that we'd need to talk about yet. Yeah, I actually think whether right or wrong or whether this is optimal or not, kind of besides the point, like if you're looking to get results, most bodybuilders don't really do meso, you know, like they don't go to that extent of doing deloads, et cetera, et cetera. They're more just continuously stimulating that muscle and trying to lift as heavy as possible within like a relatively high rep range like it's more strength athletes that would go down the tapering and uh yeah. so you you almost definitely don't need to do that I wouldn't worry too much about it you can do it if you want um but it I actually found that it was like less enjoyable for me so it's like oh it's deload week and I'd be like oh I really want to train like I just just want to go to the gym like I just want to do what I want to do and honestly in terms of results like it, I guess it depends where you want to be like have I ever been really ma incredibly impressively strong no not really so if that's your goal then maybe that is something you should, should consider but in terms of if physique goals are your outcome then I wouldn't worry too much about it and progressive overload I think people overcomplicate this yeah you are simply doing what you're saying which is I'm lifting to failure within the rep range you will naturally progressively overload because you'll start to be able to lift slightly heavier as Chloe's saying like initially that might increase every single week over time it might increase monthly over there it might increase every couple of months but you're still progressively overloading over time so I wouldn't worry too much about that the other things are like you can increase reps or sets or anything like that so some people, I think I got asked this once about CrossFit, like they never look at progressive overload. And I was like, of course they do. Like, well, one, if it's a decent CrossFit gym, they will implement some strength training, which I'm sure we'll consider that. But two, if you were doing like, I don't know, AMRAP squats and press ups or whatever, the more rounds that you can get in the given set time that you're given, that's yeah. progressive overload as well. Yeah, of course it is. Of course yeah. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent agree. And I think I agree with Emma, you know, I don't think that training by cycles for me personally is ever something that I really very much enjoyed. Um, I remember talking to Eric Helms about this actually, when I had him on my podcast that it, it, it does tend to help push through certain barriers that you have. And I, as Emma's saying, obviously it's more specifically if you're a strength athlete, but also if you are training for, for physique, but again, I agree with Emma, like, are you getting on stage? Do you really care? Hi, sweetie. Thank you. Yeah. Ah. Do you know that that's that is a hundred percent a placebo? Oh, I swear to God, Emma, he's brought back like Boots own brand. I'm like, it's something to do. It must be because it's got caffeine in it. Is that all it is? Paracetamol and caffeine? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a placebo, oh, but I mean, cool. if it's working, it's fucking working. Excuse me while I take my paracetamol. Right, okay. Um, Sam's just saying, thank you. Very happy to carry on as I am and and love the gym and work out so much. Just checking, I don't need to change anything for now. Yeah, you don't. And I think this happens quite a lot when people reach that phase where they're experienced enough to not be getting like incredible increases in strength every single week or incredible increases in the amount they can lift every single week and seeing those numbers progress I think it's more like a mindset thing. The exact same happens with fat loss, where maybe at the start you're losing like, yeah, like one pound a week, two pounds. Like I can see this on the scales, like making progress really, really well. And then when you have less fat to lose, you're not going to see that every single week on the scales because the noise of fluctuations is almost definitely at some point going to mask the fat loss that you're 
experiencing so that you can't see that on scales it's not a sensitive enough measure anymore and I think that's sometimes where people struggle psychologically because they're like oh I used to you know increase the amount of push-ups I could do every week by like two reps or something well quite quickly you're not going to be able to keep progressing at that rate and same with fat loss like if you're any good at fat loss at some point you're going to reach a point where you don't have much fat left to lose which means that your progress is going to slow if you're measuring that on the scales yeah absolutely absolutely okay laura penny morning ladies would you be able to explain the science behind getting leaner and being more hungry please if there is any I know when we lose body fat, we need less energy, but not sure if it's possibly increased muscle mass that causes increased hunger. Thank you. Uh, yeah, there's loads of reasons why. First, well, we'll start with the obvious and then go a bit deeper. Um, for starters, you're taking in less energy via food than your body needs. Um, and your body is you know, designed to survive, designed to survive starvation. So it will absolutely be driven to tell you to eat. Um, we talk about getting leaner. So dropping body fat as well, then your body's aware that you are losing stored energy or losing stored energy and calories in the form of body fat. Again, same response. Talk about getting leaner. When we start to talk about getting you know, really quite lean, like for example, Emma, but you wouldn't even need to go that far. And this, I'll let Emma pick up on this after. You talk about leptin response. You know, don't forget that leptin signaling is coming from body fat stores. So as soon as you start to drop those body fat stores, your your body is hormonally driven to tell you to eat. Now, you know, I've anecdotally found throughout the years that it is, and I've said this before, it's like a stepwise pattern. I have clients who typically, it's quite interesting, actually. And obviously, let's just put um, kind of menstrual cycles out of the mix for a minute, because that's a whole other thing in and of itself. Um, it, it we'll find that before a big drop or before we really see some big differences in, in kind of like a two week period, they will say to me, I'm feeling really hungry. I'm really struggling with hunger this week. And it's really interesting. And by the time that that kind of shift takes place, it tends to level out and they tend to be okay again. But of course it does get to a point and anyone who's ever done this will know and gotten very, very lean. And this definitely applied to me will know it gets to a point where you're just, I mean, it's impossible. It's really hard to stay really satiated. And that is purely down to a hormonal response. Um, Emma, answer the question, but also talk about why you think in terms So, if I get like, if I'm like getting incredibly lean, I really struggle with hunger, but you are absolutely fine with it, aren't you? And I want to know why you're smiling. I, I, so I think different people at different levels will experience yeah. So if we're talking about um, how, when, so leptin is one of the key regulators of your energy that you have stored in your body so higher levels of leptin because it's primarily produced by adipose tissue so fat cells will signal to the brain that there's there's energy available there's a couple of problems with this in that if you become resistant to leptin i.e if your leptin levels are always very high so if you're storing a high level of body fat then you can't hear those leptin signals as well so this is why you know like if you look logically you think well if you've got loads of stored energy aka body fat why is my body driving me to eat more okay because it can't hear this signal and so my brain thinks there's not a lot of energy there's actually low leptin levels which would signal we don't have much energy here we need to take in more energy so it's going to drive me to eat that's what happens at like obesity extreme end obesity what happens at the other end of the spectrum is almost quite similar to that as far as your brain knows so if you're very lean, then you genuinely don't have a lot of body fat. You genuinely do have low leptin levels and the brain is like, okay, well, we don't have a lot of stored energy, so we should be trying to eat more. And so it will increase hunger levels. That happens at slightly different, well, I mean, it's a spectrum, isn't it? So it's not suddenly like it turns on or off, but depending on how many leptin receptors you have, depending on your genetics and how likely you are, we know that a, a certain gene has um is linked to higher levels of hunger irrespective of your body fat levels so there's lots of things coming into play here and people experience 
different levels of hunger at different body fat percentages at different times of their menstrual cycle just their kind of habitual baseline hunger levels may be different as well so you might have someone who stays kind of naturally lean might have a lower baseline level of hunger than someone who isn't lean for example or like someone who maybe struggles with their weight a little bit more um so there are numerous things that come into this but if you're asking specifically like what's the science behind why we get hungrier when we're leaner like it's your body trying to preserve as much energy as possible and do remember that like our whole genetic background is built around storing as much energy as possible because that's what's key to survival or has been until the last sort of 100 200 years when we've had ample energy around but until like in human history relatively recently there's always been a scarcity thing like it's always been when food is there we should eat as much as possible so that when food isn't there then we won't starve like that's been the survival mechanism so your genetics are built around that so you're really like this is why fat loss is hard because you're working against your genetics and because of the environment that we live in now where everything is readily available and we're never really five minutes away from any food if that then you know the environment's changed and it's much harder to stay lean in an environment like that which is yeah. why it's so important to kind of curate your own environment and a lot of what I've been doing on this like behavioral science course is kind of looking into the research around that that you can you know you you can't change that there's fast food outlets and things but you can change what the easiest option for you is so you can do things like plan ahead so that you know you're not coming home massively hungry and just going to a takeaway you can plan ahead so that you have healthy nutritious food at home that you're going to consume like you have to curate that environment for yourself or things like making your life more active like we're all far less active now because most of us, well, I mean, like most of us, like in, in history, maybe we worked on farms or we had to like chase wildebeest to like get food or whatever. We lived a much more active lifestyle until the last hundred or so years where you can now drive everywhere or get the bus or the train or whatever. So again, you can curate that yourself to be like, I know I could get the train, but actually I'm going to walk two stops and I'm going to get on the tube the next two stops away because I want to be active and I want to expend some energy as well. And I know that that's important to my health. So again, it's you like creating your own environment around what you know is important for your health. Yeah. Fantastic answer. And Laura, I just, the penny just dropped. <laughs> Laura Penny. Oh! <laughs> the penny just dropped as to why you're asking this. Laura was saying that she's been feeling increasingly hungry and it's not, it's not specific to her menstrual cycle. Um, and one, Laura is getting significantly leaner. Did you see the photo she uploaded? She was like, oh no, the lean thing doesn't apply to me. And sometimes like, sometimes, no offense, Laura, but I'm like, I give clients too much like, like kind of rope in that area. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I said, just upload me some photos anyway. But I genuinely was like, well, she says it's not a problem. She's got like ripped abs. Oh, like, okay. Yes, I did see that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not, so that's probably why you're asking this question, which makes lots of sense. And yes, the, the leptin situation in terms of Emma's right, you know, the spectrum of extremes being where we would say leptin's probably an issue over here and all the way over here in the middle, not so much. Um, but it could certainly, it would certainly be edging towards that for you. Not necessarily there, um, but it would, definitely you'd be closer to that because you are very lean um and that's it like i mean it's not just increased hunger like leptin's important in so many things it's also why you'll lose your menstrual cycle if you go yeah. too lean yeah. and again that can happen for different people at kind of different levels of body fat like exactly people, like women can't have abs because they'll lose their menstrual cycle like one that's not true but for the majority of women it is it's, and if yeah, that that's the thing I, that and that is it's so important guys and I did say this in a recent post that I put on Instagram look genetics don't count for everything you can't say to somebody who's a especially a natural professional bodybuilder oh it's just your genetics like no they fucking work their tits off to get to that level now do having good genetics help yes you know does it affect how you're going to feel at certain levels of body fat Absolutely. You know, we know, right? Emma and I know, we know it personally with ourselves. We've seen it with clients. We've had clients have very kind of similar physiques, or I should say, sorry, body compositions. And one client will really struggle 
just to make it through the day and the other client's doing a marathon on the side. Genetics do count for a lot. Um, but also, Laura, another thing, and we, Laura and I talked about this, is that, yeah, as Emma's saying, you know, we are driven driven to eat. We are driven to survive famine. We are driven to survive starvation. We're not driven to survive obesity. And we talk about that all the time as well. Um, and, and, and as, again, Emma touched on really nicely, having that the kind of satiating foods that are appropriate for your diet that are going to make you feel full, that are going to make you feel happy and fueled throughout the rest of the day. It's so important. And Laura, this massively applies to you because Laura is like going long gaps throughout the day without eating, which is a huge fucking problem, especially when you're lean. That is a recipe for disaster. That is like hanging a beef steak in front of a starving wolf. <laughs> Why did I go to Wolf? Um, but it's a really bad idea if you're getting leaner to, to, to allow that kind of long stretch of time between lunch and dinner to pass you by. And then if she's finding she's getting really hungry, she's trying to fill that void with a protein bar and a skinny latte. These two things are not going to help. Um, so really, you do need to think again, we talk about, you know, meal timing isn't important and what you eat isn't important. It fucking is when you're getting really lean and you're struggling. In fact, you know, it, it is that's when practicalities will dictate behavior. Um, and and it's, it is important. But yeah, Laura, you know this already. We've done it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would say the the more I guess, like in a way like the more you struggle with your diet, actually, the more and it is what you eat we, yeah. we've spoken about this before about like when you get to lower calories it's actually much more important to consider what you eat but that could actually go up to what some people might think are relatively high calories that if you fuel yourself with the right foods you'll feel very different even if the calorie number is the same 100 percent, absolutely and also just one more thing on that uh, 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 mitigating or oh, not mitigating the wrong word what's the word I'm looking for um compounding factors will be things like menstrual cycle lack of sleep which can see a huge spike in ghrelin which is that drive to eat um and yeah so so those things are that if anyone's listening like well I'm not really lean and I am on top of my meal plan and my hormones play a huge role and I don't just mean menstrual cycle wise I mean you know like I say if you are incredibly stressed out you're talking you know high high cortisol chronically high cortisol levels you're not getting enough sleep you're talking chronically high ghrelin levels you are going to struggle as well <clears throat> so bear that in mind okay Claire morning lovely ladies do you have any tips or tricks for days when you seem to be constantly comparing yourself to everybody I'm pleased with what I've done so far round two excited I'm oh sorry I'm excited for round two but there's a niggle in my head saying, oh, you could do more or better. I think life is always in flux. I don't like, I don't like to be absolute about, are you doing enough? Are you, you know, life is always in flux. There are some weeks when, and, and, and we'll get, I'll get onto body comparisons because now I'm just going to touch on that. Am I doing enough? There are some weeks when, honestly, you just have to tick the non-negotiables to get through because we all have a life. We all have shit going on. And the more you overwhelm yourself, the more likely you are to trip up, fall in the fuck it bucket, whether you actually, I know, and I don't necessarily mean just overeating. I just mean thinking fuck it and completely parking the goal because it's too much. It's too overwhelming. We want to avoid that. So that's when we come down to the bare minimums. And there'll be weeks where it's like, are you doing enough this week, considering that you have a really like easy and you have this goal? maybe not maybe up it a bit maybe your non-negotiables this week should be like to fucking nail it like and I think life is in flux and you need to accept that you'll go between that now park that for a minute and come back to comparing yourself to other people and someone asked us on the page the other day we're all human we're all women in the western world it's very very fucking normal to have body conscious days to have body comparative days and um, those days don't happen every day um at least they really hope they don't and, and and if they are then i think you need to work on work on that um but they do those do those days and weeks do happen to all of us and that's when i think it's really important to park the body checking to park the looking in the mirror touching yourself compare like looking at, at you know fitness models on instagram and actually just switch your focus entirely just to taking care of your body get to the gym and enjoy your workout move it you know set yourself a little performance goal even if it's just a tiny little thing that you do that day even if it's just getting to the fucking gym that day 
you know, um, set yourself a goal to eat really healthy that week because, you know, you had a big weekend last weekend or whatever. Just shift your focus entirely, entirely away from how you look so you can really enjoy, you know, these wonderful things that you're privileged enough to be able to do. Um, and like I say, there's nothing wrong with having a vain narcissistic goal. You can come back to that when it feels less oppressive and more inspiring. Yeah, I I think com- comparison's a good topic. I think one you when people like just stop comparing yourself to others that's unrealistic we do it in every single avenue of life like actually the only way that you really judge anything is via comparison like you know you're only earning a lot of money compared to other people that are within your social network or you're only doing really well compared to your peer group like that it's it might seem negative but it's kind of just the way things are um I do think that comparison doesn't have to be the thief of joy. And I think that you can certainly see it as inspiration as opposed to like a negative thing. But I do think we need to be careful because even within the group, sometimes you might see something and you're you're seeing one post from one person that's done really well at the gym that day, but you don't see everything else. And I'm not saying like on social media, you should share everything. It's just the awareness that that is a highlight reel. Like that is one snapshot of their life it's not what they're doing every day it's not what they had to do to get there it's not all their relationships in the background like you're only seeing one tiny aspect of their life not everything else and I think one thing that really helps me if I'm ever like stuck comparing myself to others is telling myself that if I want that like if I want that small aspect that I'm seeing I have to take everything else that comes with that so I'm not just talking about like the hard work that it takes to build a great physique or the missing social occasions potentially or any any of that but I just mean if I want their life I have to give up mine and weirdly it kind of shifts your mindset from negative comparison to gratitude because you're like all right so I'd have to give up all my relationships the house that I live in the job that I have the friends that I have like the car that I drive whatever I don't have a car but you have to give up all of that to take what this person has and you have to take all of that you can't just pick and choose like different aspects from different areas of people's lives and I think as soon as you do that you actually become really grateful for everything that you wouldn't want to give up in your life and I kind of like that frame I love that frame and I also fully agree with Emma we have to be really careful with this comparison thing because obviously we know that it has done and continues to do a lot of damage um, mentally, especially to women, especially in the context of body image. But I agree with Emma and, you know, something that I often will say to, to my clients is like comparison or can we flip it, as Emma said, to inspiration or can we flip it to competition? You know, there, there's ways of kind of flipping it on its head. And there's definitely been times where in my career, and I remember them vividly, and it hasn't happened in a while because I've got too much happening for this for this right now. But there's definitely been huge kind of propeller moments in my career where I've looked at somebody who I feel like I was better than, whether I was more qualified than them or, or I had the ability to push myself and get in better shape than them or whatever it was where that comparison has definitely flipped to either inspiration or happy, competitive kind of trajectory and really pushed me into a new brilliant spot. Um, And it doesn't, you know, like I say, I'm not like that all the time. I certainly am not like that currently. Right now, I'm very happy just plodding along doing my thing. Um, But but it's, it's true. Like, can you flip it? Can you use it as fuel or as we say, inspiration to get you to a new place that you want to be in. Yeah, there's a really good like anecdote about this or story about this. I can't remember it, so it's not going to be great. But hopefully like the. the That's me. The... Every time I go to speak now, I'm like, I really can't remember it, but I'll try my best. <laughs> but basically the crux of it is there's like, I don't know, this party on like Millionaire Island or whatever. And one man says to another something about how this guy is doing really well and he's just like made a million in the time that it took him to I don't know whatever it was something about like how many things that he'd sold and how many million he'd made from that or probably billion who knows right and the guy replies saying yeah but I have one thing that he'll never have and he's like what's that and he's like enough and I was like yes that's it because you it doesn't matter how much you have of anything like people use money as something here but like 
there'll always be someone who has slightly nicer shoulders than you or you you kind of envy them because yeah you really like your shoulders but they've got better glutes than you do or they look better in this angle or they've got longer legs than you do or you know something you can always compare yourself and you'll always find someone who's like that little bit better in your perception than you think that you are or you'll always find someone who's earning more money than you or is being more successful than you in some way in your like that's how you're viewing it and if you're always looking for that and you're always looking for more and you can never say like I have enough I am enough as I am then like you're never going to be fully happy so it's you that needs to change like nothing else is going to change the comparison will always be there if you're looking for it there will always be someone better than you to compare yourself to and when I say better than you I mean your perception that they are better than you no I love that it's and but also then this is now about perspective so now I'm in a place like I just said and completely aligning with what Emma's just said Right now, I am in a place in my life where I'm like, I have enough, I'm fine. Like, I have enough going on. I am busy, I am working, I am fulfilled. I'm, my cup is full and I do not want it anymore. Thank you very much. And that's fucking fantastic. And I, that feels great and it's lovely. But there are certainly moments all the time where, I, again, like I look back to not that distant past where I was like, oh, I want that thing. I'm going to go get it now. And I'm like, oh, I miss that aspect of myself. And this is what we always say as well in a, in a completely new context, like A, perspective and B, acceptance that life is transitory and you are always in flux and the grass is always greener in some way, shape or form. Like, you know, I, I remember looking at photos of pregnant women, you know, again, in a not too distant past and being like, oh, I want that. <laughs> And now I've got it. I'm looking at photos of like fucking women who are getting, who are in prep to get on stage at whatever competition. I'm like, oh, I want that. Like, and I think part of it is also just like self-awareness of human nature and being able to kind of laugh at it and get on with where you're at at that point in time. Yeah. I don't think you'll ever not have these feelings, but it's just not giving them limelight. It's like, instead of it now encompassing your whole day, comparing yourself to others, you're like, huh yeah well I'm sure that you know there's still great things in my life and actually I wouldn't want to give those up or even just like it just passing through your mind and you're not like ruminating on it that's the difference I love that I'm gonna do a or maybe Emma will do a post on um ways to flip comparison on its head see if we can give women some some benefit of this horrible mental affliction Okay, right. Next question. Hazel. Hi, ladies. As someone with plenty of weight to lose, can we just keep continuing with the easy method until we reach our target weight slash measurements? Mm. Um, I've already mentally signed up for round three. Thanks. Yes. We love this. We get this question all the time. Like, how long is too long to stay in fat loss? And the answer is, well, how long, how much do you have to lose? And how much are you struggling at that point in time? And like we say, we can come in at points and ease up. You know, there are things we can do. If you're one of those clients who's like, I'm here for the long haul. I've got a long way to go. Of course, there are going to be times where we're going to need to ease up a little bit. Um, and, and yeah, you're in it for the long haul. And I mean, we would love, and we've already had this so many times before, and it's great. We would love to have you throughout the entirety of your journey. It's great. Yeah. And you are welcome to stay as long as you want. And then a lot of the time people's goals change, right? They reach their fat loss goals and then they're like, I want to get really strong or... I want to improve my physique or I just love the workouts and the support and I'm going to work on my relationship with food like whatever it is the goals just adapt and change as you reach them and then set new ones yeah okay we're up to date on the live oh okay right let's oh no wrong thing okay Fiona Norman Hi, question for the live. I would love to understand more about maintenance and how it works after a fat loss phase. After years of yo-yo dieting, maintenance seems a long way away for me as I've had years of gaining weight after three kids. I hit targets before and then I put it all back on again and then some. The reason I'd like to understand if more is that when I have hmm, it more, the reason I'd like to understand it more is that when I have days where I'm finding this hard or slow, I feel a bit panicked that it will be for nothing as I worry that I'll mess up the maintenance stage and go right back to my old ways. I feel like the amount of calories I used to consume was huge compared to this now. And I worry that as soon as I go back to that, it's all going to creep on as I just won't be as strict anymore. I'd love to understand it more and how people sustain long-term results once they've hit their goal, especially as I feel that I'm going to need to invest in more rounds to keep me accountable. 
Many thanks for creating this great space. You do a great job. Um, fantastic question and really common fear that I know I've felt so many times and we see all the time with clients. Maintain the transition from fat loss to maintenance in and of itself is a real head fuck. Like it's, and, and uh, you know, it's, you need support. So I love that you say, I feel like I'm going to need to stay on for this part. A hundred percent you do. And that applies to all of you. Maintenance is the hardest shift. And ideally I would want all of my clients, whether the, your EC method clients or one-to-one clients to stay on with me for a p significant period of time after fat loss so that we get into this kind of lifestyle um, habit, routine, really healthy habits and behaviors with food um, on both sides of the spectrum and everything in between. Because you are going to have times where you have blowouts, you know, you are going to have times where you need to rein it in again, and then you're going to have everything in between. And that really takes practice and it takes mindset work. Um, you know, ideally, we what we would do is we would look at your expenditure just like we would in fat loss. Just think of it like that, slightly, slightly in reverse. We would look at your expenditure. What are you doing every week? How, what are you happy doing? What's a bit of a push for you in fat loss? Um, and same with that, you know, where, where have your successful loss, fat loss calories been? Um, and, you know, for me personally as a coach, I would give you, I would slightly increase the tracking. I would still have you tracking 100%. You still need to maintain some kind of control and understanding of your and kind of cognizant behaviors around food. And I would also start to bleed in untracked meals for you. And as we went, this would morph and this would change and it would look different for every client. You might come away from tracking entirely. You might have like a dippy approach to it. It, it all depends on the client. Um, and it takes a while, but we would 100% get you there and it would be our pleasure um emma yeah i think this is something we feel massively passionate about because successful dieting is maintenance like that's the definition of successful dieting it's not how much you lose in 12 weeks or eight weeks or even the total amount of weight that you've lost like that's what a lot of people think it's not it's in a year in five years have you managed to maintain that and in all the research they either look at six month follow-up or one year follow-up that's how you define a successful diet not oh, we did an eight week plan and this is how much someone lost. That's not a successful diet. So we're very much like, we want you to get results and maintain results so that you're not constantly feeling like you're on or off a diet. I think where people get a little bit confused about maintenance is that they think it's massively different than what they're doing already. Like I want to set your expectations here. You have to keep doing the behaviors that got you here. Some of the numbers might change. That might mean that I don't know, in fat loss, you were really trying to hit 12,000 steps a week, but now it's much more realistic for you to get 10,000 steps, um, sorry, on average a week. And it might be that you were in a deficit on 1800 calories and actually your maintenance calories are closer to 2200 calories. Like the numbers will change, but actually the key behaviors, like you still need to train, you still need to walk, you still need to fuel your body with healthy, nutritious food. There might just be different amounts of those things but mm. you still need to do them. And it's not this massive different thing. Like I often give an example of like the last fat loss phase I did post-surgery, when I came back up to maintenance, like my food didn't really change that much. I just added in two pieces of toast with peanut butter. Like it's not this huge, like this was my diet and now this is maintenance and it's a completely different thing. Like it doesn't have to be like that. And we can help you get there and just make it practical for you instead of yeah, it feeling overwhelming, but I'm so glad that you think that you're already thinking about that. And you're already thinking about that as like an end game. I want to not just get results, but I want to maintain those results. That's what's really important. Yeah. And as you go through maintenance, like things will fluctuate. You might, you might have times where you put on a little bit of weight because maybe it's been Christmas or you've been on holiday or you've been unwell or you've had COVID or like life happens. And instead of thinking, oh man, I'll, I'll like either give up and then I do end up putting on a load of weight or I need to jump back on a diet and massively over-restrict. You just think, okay, I'm just going to tweak a few things and then keep progressing. Like it's not this huge thing anymore. Fantastic point to bring into it. Um, and Emma and I were talking about this before we came live, actually. The, you know, life is always in flux, therefore my body is always in flux. It's 100% something you're all going to have to accept. No, we don't mean some big pendulum swing. Mm of like you know this this fear and that's another topic in and of itself this fear of I'm going to go right back to where I was before at the end of this 
just let that let that kind of rest for now because you've got Emma and I we're not going anywhere even when I take some a few weeks off because the potato comes Emma's going to carry on with the EC method so if, I, you know we don't really want to talk about it too much now because we'll talk about it when we need to but we're not going anywhere the EC method isn't going anywhere we would love to have all of you on. I don't want any of you feeling this fear of like once this is over and fuck no you're not and also that would that's bad coaching we're here for the long haul we're going to support you for the long haul but there are, and, and we, we don't want the pendulum swing as much as you don't want the pendulum swing. We're in that together. But, but there is truth to the fact, and I am walking proof of this, as is Emma. Your life is in flux, therefore your body will be in flux. You know, Emma had a period of time where she was pretty sedentary because of her back and she gained some weight. You know, I'm pregnant and I'm gaining some weight and I won't look great in a few months time and it's going to take me a while to get back to where I want to get to. That's my life right now. Um, you know, and, and, and it could be really positive things. You know, you could go on a, a travel trip, you know, for, you know, a six month long honeymoon with your new husband. Are you going to come back looking as in shape as you were got in before the wedding prep? you fucking not and is it worth it of course it fucking is um and there's an element of that content and i think also when you accept that and that realization of, of real life that fear is also really dampened and you're like oh okay well maybe and i think i've done posts on this before and emma and i talk about this a lot you know a successful life isn't getting to your deathbed maintaining your 65 kg weight please come on that's really depressing <laughs> Yeah, agreed. And sometimes as soon as you take that pressure off, I think there's still this narrative and it it relates to what we were talking about with being enough. Like you can accept yourself as you are and be enough, but still want to make improvements or still want to change in some way. Like it's not that this is the whole narrative that you need to hate yourself into change or that if you don't, you know, set these unrealistic expectations and berate yourself the whole time and have massively negative self-talk that actually you won't be motivated to do anything the complete opposite is true. Like if you are compassionate to yourself, you are much more likely to work hard. In yeah. fact, being negative will always hold you back. And the compassionate things to do and like practicing imperfect action, that allows you to slip up and then still make progress because you're not beating yourself up every time you make a little bit, like a little mistake. You're like, okay, like maybe I can learn something from this and now I'm moving on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, two more questions. Lizzie, hello, two things. First, the magnesium has worked like magic on my crampy calves. That's great. Right. Secondly, I did legs yesterday and I was fine. So think last week I was just tired. Is it okay to never need a proper deload if I can just take a couple of days off and be fine? Going to the gym is really helping me and my anxiety. So I don't want to force myself to not go if I don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Take it, if you feel like I need a couple of days break of a couple of days rest from the gym and then you feel fueled, you know, psychologically and physiologically happy and well enough recovered to go again, fucking A, do it. The only time that advice would change is if we had people on here that were like crossfitting in the gym six days a week, every week for 12 weeks. You'd be like, mm, maybe if, because it's such a performance role and it's so high fatigue rate, we would probably be like, maybe we should look at taking four or five days in a row off for a minute. Um, but no, for like for the vast majority of you who just love getting in the gym and training, yeah, a couple of days off a week is fine. Yeah, I think like generally, if you're kind of enjoying the gym and you have a physique goal and you're not like, you know, you're not an athlete, you often yeah. don't really need deloads. Like I don't really, the only time I take what you could call if you wanted it, a deload is like, oh, I'm really busy this week. I'm traveling quite a lot. So I'm just not going to train that much that's my deload week like I don't think most people don't need to structure that in if you have serious goals for sure but I will say that the first time that I like the first because obviously we all go through again Emma will be able to relate to this when you first start really training and getting into it like you don't take weeks off you just don't like yeah. you're in it. it's like a whirlwind of day gym gym day day gym um and and I will I do remember the frequent points throughout my lifting career being having to take a good few days off or a week off for whatever reason and oh my god the difference in my training the following week was phenomenal so every now and again I would say if you're curious and it's been a few months just try it and see yeah that is one thing like less so that you feel mentally or physically like you need it but you see these like tapering you see these yeah. like, amazing improvements Cute. Catherine one of my coaches was just saying that she just isn't very motivated at the moment so she's been doing a little bit of training at home and just going to the gym once a week 
yeah. and she was like I just did the most pull-ups I've ever done off the yeah. least training I've ever done and I'm like yeah because you, you're actually recovering now <laughs> yeah and I hear I hear specifically for me with my lower body like, I train lower body pretty hard and I love it and I, I don't fuck around when I'm when I'm when I've got a lower body day and and I've always been like that it was always the reason what you know why I kind of fell in love with lifting was doing those big compound kind of lower body lifts and I oh my I mean I my range of motion gets crap I film sessions and put them on Instagram and like sorry for my range guys like my shaky legs like just crap just utter crap but just plowing through it anyway and then accidental week off go back in it's like I mean the world of difference so look you don't need to but is it something all of you should maybe think about if you are one of those people you know that's like try and try and try and try and try (laughs) yeah probably think about it Okay, just to finish off, Hazel saying, thank you both. I'm loving the group and you guys. So hoping to stick around for a long while yet. Yeah, well, we will always be here. Lizzie's saying, so glad that the UCE method is here today. Kerry's saying that she's relieved that you guys are here for the long haul, helping us when we're in the epicenter of life flux. That's, I feel like Kerry is in the epicenter there. Uh, Kerry, Kerry's taking an EC method break when she has her sprog as well, baby clamor. I love the baby clamor, yeah. <laughs> There's no, it's non-negotiable. Thank God none of you have put this on Even me. if, even if she's like, oh yeah, so this is my child, whatever their name ends up being. Clemmer. No. <laughs> yeah, she's a Clemmer. Um, but she's taking a break as well. And obviously I'll be taking a break once, you know, I'm in hell, my, my own personal hell. Um, but I just think both of us should be in the Facebook group anyway. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> just, to spam, just to spam baby pictures. <laughs> you know what? You're, you, I reckon you're probably going to be more active, like put through your own stuff, just doing lols. And I'll just be there. <laughs> working. I'll be asking Emma questions, piling on more work. <laughs> Emma, help. <laughs> Right, Lorna, what is the best mix-up full legs push-pull workouts of doing five days a week? Um, so what we tend to like to do is, um, oh, if you're doing an extra session because that's push-pull legs, um, what I like to do is add on a bonus, like I call it like a weakness session. So anything that I'm trying to work on at the moment, I'll do in that. So it might be you're like, oh, I really like to be able to, I don't know, get better at squats or get better at pull-ups. Okay, add those into that session and kind of make up a session with that uh, would be my advice. I have nothing to add. I mean, yeah, I knew you. I knew but you're already hard. hitting all your body parts pretty freaking hard doing push-pull legs and then full body workout. That's what I do though. If I, if I, get, if I have an extra session and I've trained my body completely bang on that week I'll be like what, what do I want to improve on like we whether it's aesthetically or performance wise and it's always a really fun session tbh tbh okay right well bye guys bye guys <laughs>